over the next two weeks, this week and next week, we'll be looking at how to respond righteously to evil. So when we are experiencing persecution, what should our response be? Uh, We can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do. We're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, and uh, this morning we'll be in verses 8 through 12, and then we'll pick right up in verse 13 next week. Um, but with that said, if you, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, that very first word that he has there, finally, all of you, f- finally, um, you can tell that um, Peter was a good Baptist because he says, finally, and if you look in your Bibles, you can see that he's nowhere near the end of his sermon, all right? And so, uh, not that I've ever fallen for that, <clears throat> where I've said finally and then kept going for 15 minutes. But um, Peter, he is about halfway through the, the book, and he says finally. Uh, I, I believe that the reason he says finally is because he is summarizing the, uh, all the, the talk of submission. And really, it's, it has happened since the beginning of the book, but we see it more specifically right here uh, in, in the last uh, 20 verses or so. And so when we look at verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and read through verse 12, and then we'll come back and... and break these verses down. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. And pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your words this morning, and that we would not just hear them and understand them with our mind, but that they would make their way into our spirit, into our heart, and that we would obey these words, that we would not just take these words in, but that we would live these words outward, outwardly. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with all of us in here, Lord, that you would help us to focus on your word, that you would help us to be receptive to, to your spirit and your conviction and your guidance and your encouragement and whatever you, however you decide to speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So finally, all of you, have unity of mind. Now, this reminds me, uh, when I first got here, we went through Philippians, and uh, Philippians was all about unity. It was all about unity in the church and, uh, and what that looks like. And here, Peter is telling these Christians that they are to have unity of mind. And it's important to remember, I, I think um, Warren Wiersbe said, that unity does not equal uniformity. Okay, so unity doesn't mean that everyone has to be the same. It's cooperation in the midst of diversity. We have to work together with people who are different than us. If you look around the room right now, you will see people who are vastly different than you. Uh, I see um, Jacob. 
uh, he has a beautiful head of hair. I don't. He is young. Not so much for me. I mean, some of you are older, but he is uh, in high school and, and enjoying the freedoms that come with living in your parents' house and enjoying the other parts of living in your parents' house, right? You know what I'm talking about, Jacob. Okay. And some of you uh, would have an opposite reality than what Jacob is experiencing right now. And some of you um, have 15 grandchildren, and some of you have zero grandchildren. Some of you are a grandchild. Um, yeah, I see you over there dancing. Not you, Jacob. Logan behind you. Um, <laughs> and so we have a diversity in our room. I wish we had more diversity, not less. I wish that we were more diverse, but we do have diversity. We have diversity in um, what people enjoy, what their hobbies are, what their personalities are like, what their incomes are, whatever the case might be. We have diversity in this room. Anytime you get a group together, how many of y'all have ever went to a Thanksgiving dinner with your family and there was a lot of diversity in that room just in your family? And so anytime you get a group of people together, there's diversity. And unity doesn't mean that you all have to be the same. It means that despite your diversity, you work together. That's unity in, in the church. And so... We can have those different personalities. We can have those different things about us and still work together and have unity, working toward the same purpose for the same Lord, for the same body. And so we are to have unity of mind, sympathy. Some of us are naturally sympathetic. It's just part of our personality. Um, how many of you know someone where if, if there's somebody who's, who's going through a rough time, that person is going to call them, or go pray for them, make sure that they have everything they need, cook a meal, whatever they can do to help. I know some, some people sitting in, in this room right now who would fit that description. And then uh, we have some people who are not thoughtful in that way, right? But we are called here, told by Peter, that whether it comes naturally or not, that's not what Peter says. It didn't say, if it comes natural, be sympathetic. He said, we are to have unity of mind. Sympathy is the second in this list. And so we are to make sure that we are striving to be that. That we, if we're not sympathetic, that we're surrounding ourselves with people who are so that we can learn from them on how to show a little sympathy or empathy. And that goes a long way. You know, I can remember, I remember sermons that pastors in my past preached. I can remember that. I can remember things that they taught me about the Bible um, that have stuck with me. Those things are extremely important, and I remember them, a lot of them. Um, but, you know, some other things that I'll never forget is when we had our babies and people from our churches came to visit us in the hospital. Another thing I won't forget is uh, that people from our churches um, who attended our Little League games or our kids' Little League games and things like that. The, the people who um, prayed for me when I was sick, uh, those things 
you don't forget. And sympathy goes a long way in building unity together, but also in showing the world that we're different. If you can love your enemy, that is a huge thing to show people that there is something different about you, that Jesus has changed your heart. So finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Now this word in the Greek, anybody want to guess what city is named after the word from the Greek? Philadelphia, right. And the city of brotherly love. And, and, and we're to have brotherly love. And so this is, this is talking about within the church. Now, we're going to talk about outside of the church in just a second, and people who persecute outside the church, and make sure, making sure that we're not ones who persecute. Uh, but right now, these words, unity, sympathy, brotherly love, these are gearing toward how we should be within the church. And so all I want to do is ask you this morning, whether you're a member here at our church or you're a part of another church or maybe you're not, you don't have a, a church home, we would love for you to be a part of our church home. But what I want to do is, is that, yes, I think that it is important for groups in our church to evaluate the effectiveness of how we are being at these certain things. But it starts with us individually. We as individuals have to have the conviction that God's word is true and that we believe it, and we're going to follow it. And if we believe that, then within the church, there needs to be unity, sympathy, brotherly love. We need to get along. And this love is, is there when people need us. This love is there whether uh, we feel like it or not. Love acts. If you, if you think about how the Bible defines love, love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast. It tells you things that love is, and it tells you things that love is not. And so we have to make sure that as a church that we are following these things. And then the next thing in the list is a tender heart. Um, this is important. And again, we have to, to look inwardly. Uh, some of you, this is not an issue. Some of you have an extremely tender heart, and you um, understand that, that maybe sometimes that tender heart can, while it's a great positive, can sometimes be a negative for you, your heart's so tender. Um, but for some of us in the room, um, we have to work to have that tender heart. And I, I think I can include myself in that group sometimes. I, I, I don't love as I should. I don't think of others as I should. I don't um, have the gentleness that I should have. And so we have to re recognize that in ourselves, and we have to ask God to help us to have a tender heart. And then, uh, before the period there, and a humble mind. You are not going to put others first if there is no humility in your life. It requires humility to have a humble mind, to think of others more highly than yourselves, these things that, that Scripture tells us to do. We, if we're to put others first, if, if we're to love one another, serve one another, if we're going to do these things, then we have to have humility in our life. We have to realize that first God is, is supreme, that he is in charge, that we are his, that he created us to have a relationship with him, to love him, for him to pour out his love and his blessings on us. Yes, but he also created us to be, for him to be our God, our Lord. And if he's our Lord, then we live to serve him. 
We live to honor him. And if we have that relationship right, then we can start realizing that part of the way that he has created us to honor him and serve him is to love others and serve others. And so are we doing that? And, and for many of you in this room, the answer is yes. But what, what is the last thing that you did to serve someone other than yourself? And not because you had to, not because it was your job, or not because it was, uh, you know, required from you somehow, but because you desired to. And that can be your spouse. That could be a neighbor. That could be someone in this room right now, someone in our community, or someone to the ends of the earth. But what's the last thing that you did to serve someone? Because I think that serving, it reveals humility within us that we're willing to serve someone. But I also think that it helps build humility. Because when we serve, we realize that we're just a servant. And it, it strengthens that muscle of servanthood within us. It helps us to become a better servant and more, more humble. So I'm going to reread that verse all together. Because a lot of times we look at a verse like this and um, we, we just fly by it when we're reading our Bibles. For those of us who read our Bibles uh, away from the sermon, um, we read a verse like this and a lot of times it just flies by. But let's look at these words. Let's pay attention. Sometimes I feel like I, I don't even need to preach. I just need to get up and read what the Word of God says because it's so clear and we just need to do it. But look, finally, all of you, not just some of us, all of us. Finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So this word uh, is insulting, okay? And so I'll say insulting. It means the same as the other, but we understand insulting better. Do not repay evil for evil or insulting for insulting. But on the contrary, bless. To this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So, this is interesting for many reasons. First of all, it's not easy, right? When someone um, yells at me, do you know what my instinct is? To yell back. As Rose and I found out, we both had that same instinct the first two years of our marriage. We had to learn to, how to practice the truths in verse 8 rather than uh, what's going on uh, in verse 9, the, the evil for evil and reveling for reveling. And so we have to make sure that we do not allow our human nature to override our obedience to Jesus. Does that make sense? Another interesting thing is this. Who is writing this letter? Yes, I heard the whisper. It's Peter. And what did Peter do when the guards came to arrest Jesus and when Jesus was praying in the garden? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to ask April, Terry, and I think it was Jimmy, who, or Jimmy or Shirley, whichever one of y'all just did that. Could you please... Uh, mom, your motion again. <laughs> Same exact motion. Okay, yes. He chopped off the ear yeah, of the, of the soldier that was trying to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said, hold up. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, right? And so he 
uh, Sicky glued that dude's ear back on. I don't know how he fixed it, but it says he fixed it. And, uh, and so he, he fixed his ear, and the point was is that when people try to harm us, it's not always our place to try to harm them back, right? And in fact, I would say it rarely is our place. Usually our place is humility. I'm not saying just be a doormat. I'm not saying that you can't um, speak truth into the situation, but you have to do it in the right way. You have to do it in love and in gentleness and in patience. Uh, you can't do it in anger and vileness and um, insults. You can't do that. You can't insult them back in the same way they insulted you. And I think that this is extremely important when we look at verse 9 that we remember that there are times, I believe, not everybody has the same conviction, but I believe that it is clear throughout the Bible as a whole that there are times when fighting is necessary. I do believe that. Um, we talked about Hitler a few weeks ago in, our, in one of our illustrations. And I believe that it was important for the Allied forces to fight against Hitler. He was just going to continue to commit genocide against the Jewish people if other countries in Europe didn't stand up. And then if America would not have come into the war, and, and some might even say that we should have come in earlier, if we wouldn't have come into the war, then Hitler might have succeeded in his endeavors. And think about that. Think about what that would have meant for the Jewish people, first of all, but think about what that would have meant for the world. And so was it appropriate for the Allied forces to stand up against Hitler? I believe it was. I believe that there are times when um, evil people are out to harm others where we stand up to them, where we protect the innocent. If you know of uh, an adult who is trying to hurt a child, should you stand up for that child? Absolutely, you should. You should contact the appropriate authorities. You should make sure that the, that the family knows. If it's someone in the family, you need to make sure that the appropriate people who can deal with that know. We need to do everything we can to protect the innocent. But we can do it in the right way. And unfortunately, in the case of war, there's no win. I mean, there's, it, it, people are going to be hurt. People are going to be harmed. Evil is going to be done. We live in a world where sin exists. And so sometimes we have to make the best choice we can. And sometimes the best choice still hurts people. And so um, we have to take those things into account. But I will say that our default should be for ourselves to submit to the, to the authorities around us and to love our enemies and to not respond to people's insults with insults of your own and to not respond to people's hatred with hatred of your own. We are to not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for to this you were called. This is important. Do you want to know your purpose? I want to know my purpose. I want to know why I exist. Why did God put me on this earth? And I believe that the Bible reveals those reasons to us. And here is one of those reasons. We exist. 
one of the reasons that God saved us, yes, he loves us. Yes, he created us. He has proven his love to us over and over again. Um, but one of the reasons that he created us in, inside of a relationship with him, and he didn't just beam us up to heaven as soon as we got saved, is so that we can be a light in a dark world. So when there is evil all around, we can respond with righteousness. We can respond the way that God would respond and that he would desire for us to respond. And so this is important for us to pay attention to when he says do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So not only do we exist to bless others and not curse others, but God has told us that if we will obey him in this way, that he will bless us. Now, the extent of the blessing is not specified, although we'll keep reading and learn some more. But whether the blessing is here on earth or the blessing is in heaven, if we have faith and believe that God is who he says he is, then blessings in heaven are even better than blessings on earth. And so the timetable of when we receive those blessings, for me, it's not important. Now, I will say that because of my immaturity in Christ, that I really do enjoy seeing the fruit of my hard work and my obedience, the blessings, I enjoy seeing that immediately. And sometimes I'm discouraged when I'm faithful and I don't see the fruit of that faithfulness. However, I can trust in God's promises just as you can. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life, I think that's most of us. Now, I think we at least have a seed of desire to love life in us. Now, I'll be honest. I can be very pessimistic. I can, I'm the kind of guy that if, uh, if one person comes to me and tells me, Philip, thank you for this. It meant so much for me. You know, I, I can have a uh, hundred people say that to me. And one people come to me and say, you know what I didn't like about your sermon? And that one thing sticks with me more than the hundred compliments. I don't know why I'm like that, but I, I am. And I'm the kind of guy who um, I really have to remind myself to stop and smell the roses. Because if I'm not careful, all I see is what hasn't been done yet. And rather than what has been done. That's just my personality. I'm not making excuses or saying it's right. In fact... I choose disobedience sometimes because I don't trust in God's promises. I don't trust him. I just see what needs to be done and what I, I needs to be fixed, even if it, it is a hindrance. But with that said, I do desire to love life. I think most of us in here desire to love life. We desire to have joy. We desire to um, enjoy our time here on earth, not just say, well, and remember, he is talking to people who are in exile, who are, are experiencing some kind of persecution and suffering, and he, he, even more than what we would experience in our life, for the most part, as far as from other people. And so he is talking to people who have it hard, and he says, whoever desires to love life, he, he's setting them up, you need to listen to me. And I think that all of us in here would say we desire that. 
very few people that I, now there are some of these people that I met, but very few people in, in, in this room or in existence just want to make themselves miserable and everybody else around them miserable. I know some people like that, but very few compared to the number of people who really they want joy. They want to, to desire life. Now, some people chase that joy in um, destructive ways, but they're doing things in order to, to find some kind of purpose or joy or whatever it might be, and they're looking in the wrong places. But whoever desires to love life, I'm thinking that's it. if not all of us, most of us in this room. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, here's the advice. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Now, if you think about it, <clears throat> keeping his tongue from evil, does, is that required for unity? Yes, it's required for some of these things that he's already mentioned. Is keeping your tongue from evil and from deceit required for brotherly love? Yes. If you have a tender heart, are you going to speak evil or lies about people? No. And so this connects back to the previous verses. But whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. How often are we tempted to exaggerate some things? Or how often are we, uh, uh, are we tempted to, in order not to like necessarily make them look real bad, but in order to make us look better, we, we say something that's not quite true about somebody. And that something that's not quite true could cause such a wedge of division. And so we have to be really careful. Verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So for any of us in here who are not obeying the things that we've looked at today that we should obey, or even some of it is like a, a, something you're seeking after, unity of mind, brotherly love, if we're not obeying these things, sympathy, a tender heart, if we're not obeying these things, if when we were talking about these things earlier and just like I admitted the things that I have a hard time with, Admitting that you have a hard time with them is just part of it. That's confession. But we're not just to confess. We're to repent, which means that if we're headed toward the, uh, in a direction that we shouldn't be headed, whether it's any of these things that we discussed, struggling with them, then repenting is when we turn from sin and turn back to God, and we have our focus in the right direction now, and we're going to do what we should do. Let him turn away from evil. That's part, turning away from the evil. But then we are to do good. Now, we have our, our children in here with us today. Um, and it's important that we teach this to children, right? Don't do bad, do good, right? That's something very basic that we teach children from an early age. But it's also something that we need to be reminded of. Um, I, I don't know how many of you are on Facebook or social media, um, but I enjoy Facebook and social media. I enjoy getting to talk to people I haven't talked to in a long time, keeping up with people from, from previous churches, 
my, I have my brothers. Um, one lives in San Antonio, and the other one is now in Hawaii. Uh, so it, I, I love getting to see pictures of my nieces and nephews uh, on social media. Rose's family, of course, we get to see them a little more often, but they they live far away. So I, I think social media has some good parts to it. But several weeks ago, um, before our New York trip, uh, I just noticed like my mood when I got off of social media was not quite the same as it was when I got on social media. So I just deleted all those apps and stuff off my phone. And I still get on there mainly to post something about what we're doing at the church. Um, but if, if your message isn't the first one that pops up when I log in to Facebook, then I'm probably not seeing your Facebook post. And the reason that I chose to get off of it is because it's very toxic, the stuff that people put uh, puts on there. And if I was more mature, maybe I could just overlook it and it wouldn't bother me. But I'm not, and it does. And so I've noticed that um, things are a lot more enjoyable for me when I don't have to read so-and-so's mad at so-and-so. And it's a lot more enjoyable for me when I don't have to hear, I hate Donald Trump because of this, or... I hate Barack Obama because of this. Obama's not even our president anymore, and people are still posting about him. <laughs> and so it, it's just, it, it's been helpful for me. And another thing I did, this might be going a little too far for some of you, but I don't watch the news anymore, and I deleted the news apps off my phone too because they're just, it's so biased anyway. I just was, this is just a personal thing, but the frustration was there. And I say that to say that we live in a world that does not embrace this lesson. We can say simply, turn from evil and do good. That, that is like the crux of being a follower of Jesus is being his and what, what it looks like to be his is to turn away from evil and do good, right? If, if he saved us by his grace, then he has created us for good works to walk in them, the, the good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. And so, when we're reading this, I, I just want to let you know that this attitude and obedience that is being described in verses 8 through 12, that can be summarized by turning away from evil and doing good, is not what's going to come natural to us. And it is not what is common in our culture. In fact... In our culture, it seems that you just do what's best for you. That goes against what we've already read about, you know, putting God first and and others and loving others, you know, as yourself. And, And so we have to make a conscious decision that we are going to be different than the culture around us. Okay, if you're on Facebook, great. But don't post that negative stuff. You be someone who posts, posts things that are encouraging. I'm not saying that you have to be fake, and, and if you're sick, not, not post some bad news like that. De- definitely do that. You can get a lot of people to pray for you. Uh, but be an encourager. If, if you wouldn't say it to somebody's face, then don't say it on Facebook. And then if you would say it to someone's face, check it by this, this list. Is it, is it unifying? Is it sympathetic? Does it exhibit brotherly love? Does it come from a tender heart? If the answer is no, then don't, don't post it. And if the answer is no, then don't live it. Don't do it in real life. Let us turn away from evil and do good. 
And the last thing I want to say is, and for some of you who are disconnected from, like, you're not online at all, this, this might seem a little weird, but a large majority uh, of our people here are connected in some way. Um, you cannot disconnect who you are in church with who you are outside of the church. And you cannot disconnect who you are in real life and who you are on social media. It needs to be the same person. And you, some of us might say, well, I put what I put on social media because I am real. Well, okay, but be real for Jesus. Be real in a biblical sense. Turn away from evil and do good. Be who God has called you to be. And what does that look like? Well, in this passage, and this is just one of many, many passages in the Bible to tell us what it looks like when we, when we turn away from evil and do good. It looks like unity and sympathy. It looks like a tender heart. It looks like brotherly love. It looks like humility, a humble mind. It looks like not repaying evil for evil, not exchanging insults. It, it looks like actually doing the opposite of that and blessing those who curse you. So, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So not only should we turn away from evil, but we should seek peace. Not everybody wants peace. And I'm not saying that you should waste a whole lot of effort and energy on someone who doesn't want peace, but we should seek it. We should strive for it. We should look for unity, especially within the church, but also uh, from outside the church, we should look for peace and pursue it. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is our last verse. And if it made sense to turn away from evil and do good, that seemed like a pretty solid uh, thing to, to learn. Then here's another one. If you are in a right relationship and right fellowship with God then the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Now, Isaiah 59, it, Israel was rebelling and, and um, going against God, and they kept crying out to God, and, and God wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. And they, uh, now, they'd been told to repent. They'd been told to stop doing what they were doing, but they wouldn't listen. Isaiah told them over and over again, but they wouldn't listen. And God would even bring rebuke into their life, discipline into their life, and they still wouldn't listen. In Isaiah 59, he says, Is my arm too short? This is God speaking. Uh, is my arm too short that I cannot save, or my ear too dull that I cannot hear? Is God's arm too short or his ear too dull? No. Your iniquities have caused a separation between you and your God. And so I'm speaking to us as Christians. Think about our sins. Think about our failures. And if you're having a hard time knowing where to start about, well, what, what does sin look like? Well, go back to verse 8 and think about, are you, uh, do you have unity of mind? Do we? Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do we have those things? Because if, if we, even those who have a relationship with God, if you are living in sin currently, then he we have broken that fellowship. And he has told us time and time again in Scripture that he can choose, he's God, he can choose whatever he wants, 
but he has the right to not listen and do what we are requesting when we are living in sin. And so here's a good motivation, as is often given in Scripture, for us to obey the things that I have talked about this morning, that Peter wrote about, is that if we're in right fellowship with God, that his ears are open to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, ultimately, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, if, if we have not asked him to forgive our sins and have not accepted his free gift of salvation, where he willingly paid the debt that we owed, we're the ones that should have been punished, and yet Jesus took that punishment on the cross for us. If we're not a follower of Jesus, then we have to pay the most ultimate price for sin, which is death for eternity. But even if we have a relationship with Jesus, there are consequences to our sins and our actions. And so if you are in here and you have a relationship with Jesus, and yet there is some open sin in your life, some sin that you are, have not repented of, you have not turned away from evil and turned back to God, if, if there's something like that in your life, then this morning you need to get that right with God. And in fact, um, for our invitation, uh, I'm going to ask our deacons, if you would, if you would come up front this morning, and you can go ahead and start coming this way because we're at our time of invitation. Because I'm, I'm going to spend some time with God, and I need someone up here to receive y'all. And if any of our deacons need to spend some time with God, praying about what this, the Word has said this morning, then you feel free to do that. We'll, if, if someone needs to come forward and me and all the deacons are praying, then we'll, someone will come up and, and help lead you. But you respond to God in whatever way he is leading right now. If there's something in here where you have not been seeking uh, brotherly love, and in fact, I'm just going to read this 8 through 12 one more time. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Look for things that you're struggling with. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We need to make sure that we are right with God this morning. If we want to be the church that God has called us to be, if we want to enjoy life, right, who desires for love of life, if we desire that, then we need to make sure that we're in a right relationship and right fellowship with God, that we're living our lives for him the way that we're supposed to. And we need to confess those sins that we're made aware of because we want to make sure that when we do pray, that God is hearing our prayers and answering our prayers, that when we are asking God to bless us and to bless our church and to work through us, that God is moving. And so you respond in whatever way God is leading you this morning.